The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. It is a big day today, or yesterday was a big day. Uh, Donald Trump conceded the election to Joe Biden. Now, I'm not going to clickbait you guys. Donald Trump did not say I concede to Joe Biden. That is not something Donald Trump is likely to ever say. But what Donald Trump did say yesterday is, listen, I'm still suing people, but my administration is going to move forward and allow the formal transition to take place for now. This is Donald Trump, and this is the closest we may ever get to a concession from him. He's not saying he lost. He's not saying Biden won. He's still going to file lawsuits, but he is allowing the transition to start, which frees up money for Joe Biden to start the transition. And he reportedly did this after being told by close confidants, including his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, it's time to start moving on. There is no path. There's really nothing else. It is time to start moving on. Now, recall that Donald Trump was holding up the transition um, that was Emily Murphy from the GSA's to sort of formally put in place. This is the General Services Administration. They didn't start the process. Emily Murphy is a Trump administration official. Trump had not directed her to start this process because Donald Trump hadn't conceded and the pressure continued building. And finally, after weeks yesterday, Donald Trump tweeted I want to thank Emily Murphy at GSA for her steadfast dedication and loyalty to our country. She has been harassed, threatened and abused, and I do not want to see this happen to her, her family or employees of GSA. Our case strongly continues. We will keep up the good fight and I believe we will prevail. (laughs) No, you won't. Nevertheless, in the best interest of our country, I am recommending that Emily and her team do what needs to be done with regard to initial protocols. And I have done I have told my team to do the same. So for Donald Trump, this is admitting defeat. This is the concession. Nothing else now needs to happen. Nothing else needed to happen, even without this, even without the formal transition. Joe Biden would become president on January 20th. But now there is simply nothing else. And Donald Trump says he will keep fighting. He says he still thinks he won. He's even saying he thinks he will prevail, but he is allowing the process to start. Now, on the other end of this, Emily Murphy wrote a letter to the Biden campaign, and it is just comically unprofessional and self-serving. It is all about her, which I guess runs in the Trump administration. Emily Murphy wrote that all the media reports about her are wrong. She was not acting politically. She did nothing incorrect. She has to ascertain the apparent results of the presidential election, not impose the president elect on the country. She points out she doesn't certify the winner. She doesn't pick the winner. There were legal challenges. And I have to tell you guys, this is all complete and utter nonsense. She claims she can't do anything until results are certified. That's not true. In every election, the results are not really, truly, fully certified until the electors vote in December. And yet somehow in 2016, GSA started the transition in November. In 2012, there was no transition, but the results 
were 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 as far as the GSA was concerned, clear within days of the election. Same thing in 2008, same thing in the year 2000. This is absolute and total nonsense. The whole letter that she wrote is a self aggrandizing mess, which you can read in full if you're so inclined. I don't find it necessary to give you the full contents of the letter today. Bottom line is this. Uh, Donald Trump had close aides go to him and say, it's time we have to move on. There's really nothing else that we can do. Donald Trump, without saying I lost fair and square, without saying Joe Biden will be president, he said, go ahead. And now she says, Emily Murphy, go ahead. And uh, this is this is it. This entire interim period will be an asterisk in the history books of one of the most dystopian authoritarian attempts to steal the election. It will obviously be unsuccessful. We knew weeks ago that it would be unsuccessful. And now with the start of the formal transition, six point three million dollars is freed up for Joe Biden's transition. Another million is freed up for what's called appointee orientation. Bing, bang, boom. Things are moving ahead fully and completely at this point in time. This is the closest thing we are ever going to see to a concession from Donald Trump. Trump has been urged even by many Republicans to start this transition more formally. It's not clear Donald Trump is really listening to those people. It seems some of his closest aides came to him and said, you've got to do it. You really should do it. And it is happening. And we are one step closer uh, to moving on from this national nightmare of a complete and total fiasco. And the questions that remain are really um, uh, sort of academic questions, right? What will Donald Trump do between now and January 20th? Will we see him return to the public eye in any capacity today? He'll be doing some kind of Thanksgiving turkey ceremony or something like that with Melania. Will he ever take questions again? Will he attend the inauguration? Will he ever invite Joe Biden to the White House? We don't have the answers to these questions. The the answers are largely irrelevant to the broader priorities of the country at this time. Joe Biden is moving forward. He continues to make cabinet selections. Uh, and that's what I want to talk about next, because this is really important. Joe Biden is going full speed ahead with his cabinet. Yesterday, we talked about three selections, secretary of state, national security advisor and ambassador to the United Nations. Today, we have three more, actually four more to tell you about, which I will do momentarily. And as great as it is to see Joe Biden do this, it is also fascinating to watch the car crash of Donald Trump just being so triggered by Joe Biden moving ahead and selecting his cabinet. Yesterday, when I told you about three of Joe Biden's selections, I mentioned some tweets that Donald Trump sent over the weekend about how mad he is that Joe Biden is moving ahead Uh, as Joe Biden continues to make selections. Donald Trump continues to tweet, despite Donald Trump having effectively conceded the race by telling the GSA to move forward with the transition. Donald Trump tweeting in certain swing states, there were more votes than people who voted and in big numbers. Now, since Rudy Giuliani has said that's actually a bit of an exaggeration, Trump going on to say, does that not really matter? Stopping poll watchers, voting for unsuspecting people, fake ballots and so much more. Such egregious conduct. We will win. And with every announcement from Joe Biden, another tweet from Donald Trump claiming he will win. So we now have the privilege and I really consider it that that after four years of playing defense and nonsense 
every day from this administration, we are starting to get back into meaty and substantive politics, selections of people who are actually qualified to be in the positions for which they are being selected. And let's review where we are so far with Joe Biden's choices. Of course, Vice President Kamala Harris, that we knew she will be uh, the first female president or vice president uh, and a very interesting selection, um, one that in some ways progressives are fearful of, in some ways progressives are welcoming. We know about Kamala Harris. We knew about Donald uh, uh, Joe Biden, rather's chief of staff selection, Ronald Klain, who will be a very boring chief of staff. He will be scandal free. And I expect him to last a while in significant contrast to what we saw in the Trump administration. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, we spoke about yesterday. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, we spoke about yesterday. And Ambassador to the United Nations Linda Thomas Greenfield, we also spoke about that yesterday. Interestingly, after Donald Trump uh, sort, sort of demoted Ambassador to the UN and pushed it out of the National Security Council, Joe Biden will be re elevating Ambassador to the UN to a cabinet level role. It will be part of the National Security Council. I think that's important. It shows that. You are taking seriously the relationship to the United Nations. Okay, we knew all of that yesterday. New selection from Joe Biden as the cabinet is filled out. Treasury secretary will be Janet Yellen. Now, Janet Yellen was previously the chair of the Federal Reserve, and she will also be the first ever woman running the Department of the Treasury. Now, you know that I am not an identity politics guy. Uh, I want someone who is qualified and there is no way to argue that Janet Yellen is unqualified and it is powerful and inspiring and interesting that she will also be the first woman in that position. She is going to get a fragile economy in the midst of coronavirus with high unemployment. Almost certainly Yellen will be at the center of a second coronavirus relief bill, which we have every belief that Joe Biden as president is going to try to put in place. She will have a massive undertaking that she will be walking into on day one uh, and likely even before day one, and she will be tested right away. Now, in terms of Yellen for markets, markets will likely uh, do do well uh, as a result of this uh, markets early today. Liking this selection, Yellen is a known entity already. And of course, for those who are on the right and were worried about, oh, socialism, Biden, the socialist, the communist, the selection of Janet Yellen. We'll talk about the progressive reaction, but the selection of Janet Yellen, if you are in any way connected to reality, should confirm that there is no socialism or communism going on here. Meanwhile, there are. Lots of progressives who are okay with Janet Yellen. She has gone after corporate power in the past. She went after Wells Fargo during the fiasco years. She's not an ideologue. And at least as far as Joe Biden is likely to pursue the economic agenda he ran on, Janet Yellen is not the type of person who is likely to get in the way of any of it. It will still be up to Biden to actually pursue that, to pursue it. Some elements of it 
uh, will be affected by whether or not Democrats take the Senate. There are many ifs, ands and buts. But Janet Yellen is not someone who will get in the way of any of what Joe Biden wants to do that he ran on, much of which was at least acceptable to progressives. Okay, we'll talk more about Janet Yellen in the future. Another very interesting selection. Secretary of Homeland Security will be Alejandro Mayorkas first Latino in this position, also a Jewish man who has taken very seriously the issue of anti-Semitism will be very interesting to see him take that head on as secretary of Homeland Security. What the policy uh, questions will be right away include what does he do about family separation and the caging of children, not trivial things that will be sorted out. Uh, by the individual in this position, a very interesting choice. Director of National Intelligence will be Avril or Avril Haynes will be the first woman in history in that position. How does she clean up this fiasco of lack of trust in the intelligence community as a result of four years of Donald Trump slamming them? She has her work cut out. Climate czar. This is a very interesting position. John Kerry will be climate czar. Now, merely having a climate and environmental czar is a move in the right direction. Carrie is super smart. One of the people I met earlier on in in hosting the show, this position will be on the National Security Council. That's important. Recognizing that climate is a national security issue. This is a really great thing. Now, one other thought. There are really interesting identity stories here, but Absent the identity stories, there are uh, all qualified people in these positions and even folks on the right who are not lunatics are saying we find that a lot of these choices are too far left, but every single one of them is qualified. Now, in addition to that, there are interesting racial and gender stories to be told here. And I don't think that it is playing identity politics to recognize that we're going to do deep dives into the politics of this cabinet once it's fully selected. Remember that uh, these positions are set for Senate approval. They depend on Senate approval. If Republicans end up controlling the Senate, they are going to put up roadblocks for Joe Biden for at least some of these positions. It is conceivable that if Republicans really want to obstruct Joe Biden may have no choice but to use interim or acting appointments to get around Senate confirmation. Remember that Republicans have been going on and on about Obama sat on all of these, the or or rather the Democratic Senate under Obama for those couple of years blocked all of these selections. Um, We are going to very quickly see uh, whether Republicans are going to do the exact same same thing. The upside right now is that normal, non-QAnon, non-fascist, non-ideological extremist lunatic types are rapidly set to be in charge of the country just eight and a half weeks from now. That's a really important thing. Last thought on cabinet, and then we're going to take a quick break. Anti-Semitism is already going crazy. Uh, because of the selections, there are some Jewish folks who are going to be part of Joe Biden's cabinet and staff. Ronald Klain, his chief of staff, uh, is a Jewish guy. Kamala Harris's husband is Jewish. He, he will have no formal role, but, you know, anti-Semites don't care about that. Janet Yellen is a Jewish woman. 
Alejandro Mayorkas is a, a Jewish Cuban guy. The usual suspects are already very upset about the number of Jews here. And we are already seeing that boil over in some of the right wing enclaves of the Internet. The groups that track anti-Semitism online are already aware of it. And that I mean, listen, we'll, we'll have time to talk about that, but that is rearing its ugly head once again. Let's take a quick break. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, about some of these choices. I'm on Twitter at D Pacman. Um, I got a bunch of emails, people saying, David, you sound sick today. Um, no, I'm just at a different, uh, different studio, different location for the Thanksgiving week using a different mic. I sound a little different. I'm not sick as of now could wake up sick tomorrow, but I'm not sick. Uh, we have not lost the studio. We have not been kicked out. The show is not circling the drain. I am just elsewhere this week. Uh, and we have a very, very busy week of shows upcoming. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. For a limited time, our sponsor, Pure VPN, is offering you a huge 86% discount on a subscription, which comes out to only about $1.50 per month. Pure VPN makes you anonymous when you're browsing online and you can trust them because they're the only VPN in the industry with an always on third party audit to verify that your Internet activity is not being logged by hiding your IP address. Pure VPN keeps you safe from hackers and prevents you from being spied on by your Internet service provider, social media companies and even government surveillance. It also lets you watch shows and movies that aren't available in your country. Pure VPN is super fast. You can use it on all of your devices. And I can tell you firsthand, the app is really easy to use and they have 6500 servers across the world, which is more than any other VPN in the industry. Everyone should be using a VPN when connecting to the Internet. And now is the perfect time to start because Pure VPN is giving you an 86 percent discount on a subscription which comes out to only about a dollar fifty per month. Go to davidpackman.com slash pure VPN. That's davidpackman.com slash P-U-R-E VPN. The link is in the podcast notes. I want to let you know that our sponsor Vincero Watches is having a massive holiday sale on all of their products right now, and you can take advantage of it by going to davidpackman.com slash watch. A brand new high quality wristwatch really is the perfect way to add something fresh to your style, whether it's for you or a gift for someone else. Vincero is a brand that has a serious dedication to the craft of watchmaking, which is really evident when you look closely at their watches. I wear Vincero watches myself. Lately, I've been wearing one from their Icon Automatic collection. It's the mesh matte black watch, and I love the sleek, minimalist design. Their watches are actually sold at a fair price. Their mission has always been to make a wristwatch from high end materials, but one that everyday people can afford. And that's why they have over twenty five thousand five star reviews, because you won't find a better made watch for this great of a price anywhere else. You can get big holiday discounts on all of their products right now and free shipping when you go to davidpackman.com slash watch. I've put the link in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com.
Remember that The David Pakman Show is mostly funded by individual memberships. You can grab such a membership at joinpacman.com. It takes seconds and you'll instantly get access to great member perks, including the daily bonus show. A world famous and award winning awards we give out. Sure, but still they are awards. Nonetheless, uh, you can sign up at joinpacman.com and use the coupon code fresh start to save bigly off of your choice of membership. It is time for Hatriot Mail. This week is a very special Hatriot Mail. But first, just a reminder, what is Hatriot Mail anyway? Who needs Dr. Fauci or the CDC? We get all the medical advice we need from our second cousin's husband's best friend's boss on Facebook. Patriot Mail. Written by patriots who hate David Pakman. Because America. And because freedom. Okay, so there is something very special about this week's Hatriot Mail, and it is part of something I want to compile for you uh, between now and January 20th. Let's take a listen and then I'll explain. David, we know you're a loser and a disgrace, but it doesn't matter and I'm not sure how helpful publishing your videos is. David Pakman has one of the most punchable faces I've ever seen. What a condescending, in his mind, loser. Don't worry, David, you'll have four more years on talking shit on Trump. Being a loser is your best quality. Yeah, I want to compile all of the people still telling me we are going to get another four years of Trump. Joe Biden is not going to be sworn in on January 20th uh, because I'm still getting these emails and comments and tweets and Reddit posts and all of it. And, um, you know, at first I naively was thinking, you know, when Joe Biden is sworn in, these people are all going to come to a big realization. They're going to finally realize they were wrong. No, they won't. They'll just say it was rigged and Biden is an illegitimate president. They're never going to say, you know what? I guess we were just wrong. We were wrong when we said when I said Trump would overturn it, I was simply wrong. No, they'll say, well, it should have been overturned, but it was rigged and Biden stole it and blah, blah, blah. They, they will never concede or accept that they were simply wrong. The best way to fight patriotism continues to be to use the coupon code Hatriot 40 H-A-T-R-I-O-T-4-0. When you get a membership at joinpacman.com, you save and the Hatriots cry every time that that happens. I want to talk a little bit about a piece that Joel Mathis wrote in the week about how Donald Trump just can't stand that Joe Biden is stealing the spotlight from him. And Trump's been hiding out at the White House and at his golf courses, but that's actually making the problem even worse. And Joel Mathis in his piece likens it to Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard. And you might remember uh, in Sunset Boulevard, Norma Desmond is she ends up uh, long after she is no longer you know, the Hollywood star that she once was. She's surrounded by sycophants and enablers and yes men and yes women long after she stops commanding any respect, sort of living out a fantasy, living out a fake existence, for lack of a better term. And the point, the analogy here is that Donald Trump's behavior only makes sense 
if you go beyond questions like, could this strategy work to steal the election from Joe Biden? Does Trump really think that he actually won Pennsylvania? Once you get beyond those initial questions and you go to, well, what Trump is doing here is desperately trying to cling to the spotlight, both for ego and vanity as much as fears of being investigated and potentially prosecuted after he's out of office. That's the framework in which this starts to make sense. And the more that the spotlight turns towards Joe Biden, the angrier that Donald Trump gets, which explains his tweets over the weekend saying, why is Joe Biden forming a cabinet? Why is Joe Biden moving ahead when we still are fighting this and we actually won? And the reality is that this is when the spotlight should be turning to Joe Biden for two reasons. Number one, in general, when you have a new president elect, the president that's outgoing is called a lame duck president. That's because while they are still president, the next four years are going to be decided upon from an executive uh, uh, from the, the executive branch standpoint by Joe Biden, not by Donald Trump. And so Donald Trump has these waning days during which he is president. So in general, the attention now turns to the president elect. What is the cabinet going to look like? What are the day one priorities? What are the hundred days day priorities, et cetera? But Donald Trump is exacerbating the speed at which the spotlight is turning to Joe Biden because Donald Trump isn't even working anymore. Trump stopped doing presidential work months before the election. He was uh, uh, just campaigning, not dealing with coronavirus, not getting his PDB's presidential daily briefings. And he's barely been seen in public since the election. He's scheduled to do some kind of turkey thing today related to Thanksgiving. He's not actually taking questions since the election. It's probably been about a month since he's taken press questions. We have a hundred year pandemic, which Trump all but ignored. And Joe Biden has a coronavirus task force and is taking it seriously. So, of course, Americans in the media are turning to Joe Biden. If you look at Joe Biden and Trump, only one of them is still dealing with coronavirus or is dealing with coronavirus. And it's Joe Biden. So who are you going to turn to? Joe Biden is the one choosing a cabinet that is going to have to lead us out of this mess economically and from a public health standpoint. So, of course, that's what we're talking about and evaluating. Is Joe Biden making the right choices or not? And how are these people going to govern that Joe Biden is selecting? So when Trump doesn't recognize Biden's win, Finally, now allowing the formal transition to start, which is the closest we're going to get to a concession from Trump while still claiming that he actually won. He is desperately trying to cling not just to the presidency, but to the spotlight because of his ego and his narcissism. And Joel Mathis does point out that some of this is the media's fault by continuing to talk about Joe Biden's apparent victory and the network uh, uh, the, the networks like OAN and Newsmax not even using the term apparent victor and just placating any insane notion about Donald Trump being the actual winner. They do encourage the system to keep it going, but it's mostly Donald Trump. And we know Trump hates being ridiculed. We know Trump hates being mocked. And we saw that with his quick distancing from that whacked out lawyer, Sidney Powell, when she went on Newsmax and said there would be evidence of biblical proportions soon to prove fraud. She was instantly fired. And in fact, it was one of these retroactive. She never really was working for us anyway, because the mockery is what got to Donald Trump. That does actually get to him. So it's possible that more mockery of Trump 
will get him to more maybe to actually use the term I concede and call Joe Biden. But all that really matters is that Donald Trump yesterday did finally say via Twitter, I'm allowing the transition to happen formally, even though I'm going to keep fighting. And um, eventually Donald Trump will leave regardless. Joe Biden will still become president, but it's going to be all the more embarrassing for Donald Trump. In the meantime, the best we can do is all move on to talking about Joe Biden's plans, his cabinet selections, his coronavirus task force. And we're doing it. And I have to tell you, I am, as I've said before, Trump would be better. Another four years of Trump would be better for the business of the David Pakman show. There's no doubt it would be worse for the country. And I am actually enjoying starting to look into the backgrounds of Joe Biden's cabinet picks. What is Joe Biden likely to do on day one via executive order? What is Biden going to do in his first week in terms of the virus? What are the first hundred day priorities? How is Biden's uh, secretary of Homeland Security going to deal with immigration policy? We're actually getting back into substance. And I heard from a bunch of people yesterday, longtime viewers of the show who have said, I, you know, I've been a fan for a long time. I love what you do, but I am already feeling a breath of fresh air in just getting back to talking about policy, even if we don't agree with everything Joe Biden does. Certainly we will not. Uh, the guy who looked at the solar eclipse His time is up. The guy who suggested bleach injections, sort of like a cleaning to treat the virus, he is going to be leaving. The guy who used the Sharpie to adjust a hurricane map for political gain, he is exiting stage left in eight weeks and we are all the better for it. And uh, we are we are going to continue moving forward. And I am glad to say that uh, hopefully progressive media is on the path to becoming dramatically more substantive as we get closer and closer to Joe Biden's uh, swearing in. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at David Pakman Show. And while you're there, you can follow me on Instagram at David.Pakman as well. The David Pakman Show at DavidPakman.com. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20 percent off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges, which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's the year 2020. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape. And Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at Lucy.co. That's L U C Y dot co. The URL is in the podcast notes, and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. 
One of our sponsors is Four Sigmatic, the company best known for their delicious mushroom coffee. They're having a huge short lasting Black Friday sale right now when you use my link, which gives you up to 50% off. Four Sigmatic's mushroom coffee is organic, fair trade, single origin Arabica coffee with both lion's mane and chaga mushrooms. Chaga mushrooms have actually been shown to have potential in supporting the immune system in peer reviewed studies. I've been drinking Four Sigmatic coffee lately. It tastes nothing like mushrooms. It just tastes like delicious coffee. It's really easy on the stomach, doesn't give you a jittery feeling or a midday crash. And if you try it yourself, you will see why they have over 20,000 five star reviews. And best of all, if you don't love it, you'll get all your money back because they stand behind their product. You really have nothing to lose by giving it a try. Their incredible Black Friday sale is offering you up to 50% off plus an additional 10% off sale items, but only when you go to foursigmatic.com slash Pacman. That's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com slash P A K M A N. You can find the link in the podcast notes. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. All right. I want to check in briefly with you guys about the comedy of errors that are Donald Trump's sworn affidavits, some of which are arguing in Michigan that the results in Minnesota towns prove Michigan voter fraud. Now, if if you just heard me say that and you're confused, you should be confused. It makes no sense. And I'm going to explain it to you. Let's back it up a little bit for weeks now. Trump and people around him, including his lawyers, continue to refer to supposedly sworn affidavits signed under penalty of perjury from all sorts of different people that prove that there was voter fraud. Now, I've already talked to you before about affidavits as evidence. Affidavits are a form of evidence. It could be trustworthy. It might not. Affidavits might be credible or they might not. Affidavits might be admissible or they might not. They're not proof of anything per se. But when you actually start looking at some of these affidavits, it becomes cartoonishly farcical. Here is one such example. This is just one. Now, they claim to have I don't know if it's thousands or tens of thousands of these sworn affidavits of people reporting wrongdoing and mathematical anomalies or anomalies, as your preference may be for pronunciation. But let's just look at one. Okay, there is an affidavit from a guy named Russell Ramsland, who is a supposed expert on cybersecurity. In his affidavit, Russell attacks Dominion software, which is used on some voting machines. And it claims that there is very suspicious activity in some towns that are in Wayne County, Michigan. And in their list of towns in Wayne County, Michigan, they list places like Spruce Grove Township and Atlanta Township and Runeberg Township. All of those places. <laughs> are not even in Michigan. As Jake Tapper from CNN pointed out on Twitter, Spruce Grove Township is in Minnesota. Atlanta Township is in Minnesota. Runeberg Township is in Minnesota. Now, one argument was uh, this was supposed to be evidence from Wayne County, Minnesota, not Wayne County, Michigan. So the everything's accurate. It's just they put M.I., instead of MN. 
And that's why all of the towns that are listed are actually in Minnesota instead of in Michigan. That doesn't pass the sniff test because there is no Wayne County in Minnesota. So what we have here is if we want to be as charitable as possible, we have incompetence. If we want to maybe think of a less charitable interpretation, these are straight up fraudulent affidavits. The idea that they uh, submitted these uh, knowing that these are not even actually places in Michigan and they were hoping to deceive courts and hoping to move some of these bogus lawsuits forward. We don't know. We may never know. It's increasingly irrelevant. This evidence supposedly from Michigan was submitted as part of a filing in Georgia. The Georgia results are moving forward and they it was supposedly data from Michigan. Michigan has also now been certified and put officially in Joe Biden's column. So it is all failing. But this is why, you know, we really have to go beyond. There's this idea of just throwing large amounts of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. And I've talked about this before in debate. It's something called the gish gallop. You, you, you throw a bunch of stuff out there and just make it appear overwhelming and make it difficult for whoever you're trying to convince to really go step by step step and refute this. The equivalent of the gish gallop is just getting thousands or tens of thousands of signed affidavits and, you know, holding them up as stacks of paper, as Trump cronies have done on television, including his press secretary, Kayleigh McKenney. But what you really need to do is not say, wow, if there are 10,000 of these things or 100,000 or 5,000, whatever, there must be something to it. You just have to dive in and start looking at it and saying, "Okay, let's look at this one affidavit. And then you look at it and you say, this really is nothing. This is really hearsay. It doesn't really tell us anything about uh, uh, there being fraud. It's an allegation in many cases, an allegation which, even if true, would not impact the results of this state. And you put that aside and then you look at the next one and then you look at this one and it lists towns supposedly in Michigan that are actually in Minnesota. And then you start eliminating it. And what do you have left? You have left the realization that Joe Biden won because he got more votes in enough states. That's really it. And um, these we rest assured, we're not going to have to hear that much more about affidavits for too much longer. I have a very interesting clip for you today. I believe it is possible that Tucker Carlson last night on his program set a record for the number of lies told in 80 seconds. This was an 80 second clip I'm going to play for you. So jam packed with dishonesty and deception and duplicity and deceit that I'm unsure I've ever seen so much in a mere 80 second segment. This was some kind of wrap up of sorts of the 2020 election where Tucker Carlson does seem to be acknowledging Donald Trump is not going to be sworn in for a second term. Joe Biden will be president. That seems to be the context here. And yet Tucker says this wasn't really fair and it's not really clear Biden won for real and any kind of electronic voting is bad. So let's just start going through and and this will take a little while, but I think it's worth it. Let's actually check out all of the false claims that Tucker Carlson makes, most of which his audience accepts as undeniable gospel. Let's jump in. Other countries understand it. They don't use electronic voting because they know it undermines confidence in democracy. Okay, so we're we're only six seconds in, my friends. 
And Tucker Carlson says other countries don't use electronic voting because it undermines confidence in democracy. That is a lie. It is not true that other countries don't use electronic or Internet voting. It is used in Argentina, Australia, Belgium, Brazil, Canada, Estonia, France, Germany, India, Italy, Namibia, the Netherlands, Norway, Peru, Switzerland, the UK, Venezuela, and the Philippines. That's, I think, uh, 20, 20, 25, 23 countries or so. Uh, Lithuania and Malaysia are in the process of rolling out some electronic voting. So it is a lie that electronic voting is not used elsewhere. And it is used in countries that are all over the spectrum in terms of level of development, all over the spectrum in terms of culture, size, wealth. So that's the first lie. Six seconds in. It took me a minute to refute it. So you understand why this is so difficult. Let's continue. A system cannot function if no one trusts the vote. And that's true here, too, as we're finding out. Going forward, we need to find out exactly what happened in this month's presidential election. So Tucker there says no one trusts the vote and we need to find out what happened. This is part of the story that we just have no idea what went on. And until courts weigh in, uh, uh, we're just not going to know anything. We know what happened. Joe Biden won. He won by way more than Trump's margin of victory in 2016. Joe Biden won with a six million popular vote victory. Donald Trump won electorally with a three million vote loss in 2016. We know what happened. The uncertainty is part of the deception. Let's keep going. We need to find out no matter how long it takes the investigation to unfold or how much it costs. And once we get answers from that investigation, we ought to revert immediately to the traditional system of voting, the one that served our democracy for hundreds of years. What we're doing now is not working. There is no evidence that what we're doing now is not working. That is untrue. This is literally retrograde conservatism. You know, the idea of just doing things the old way for the sake of doing things the old way for no real reason. Go back to what we used to do, period. This was a highly secure election by all serious measures. Trump's head cybersecurity guy, Chris Krebs, was fired for acknowledging this was a relatively secure election. Certainly none of the errors or problems affected the results that he was fired. OK, Tucker is lying to you. Let's keep going. That's an understatement. As of tonight, the state of New York still hasn't managed to count the votes in five House races, thanks to mail in voting. So there, Tucker Carlson says, thanks to mail in voting, the full vote hasn't yet been counted in some New York House races. Now, remember, we were talking about electronic voting. This entire segment was about electronic voting. And now Tucker pulls in out of nowhere mail in voting. He's not actually saying get rid of mail in voting, right? Because that's been around for a very long time. That's not new that there was just more of it this year because of the pandemic. So this is Tucker deliberately or maybe through ignorance. I don't know, mixing electronic and mail in. But none of this segment was even about mail in voting. Now, it's true. There is not yet a full count in from some New York House races that that is accurate. That's more because of the rural nature of large parts of New York and New York specific rules. It's not because of mail in voting in principle, and it's certainly not because of electronic voting, which was also the subject of this segment. So, again, very, very deceptive. That's a disaster. Let's stop pretending that it's not. But at the same time, we shouldn't let our focus on voting machines distract us from all that happened earlier this month. 
The 2020 presidential election was not fair. No honest person would claim that it was fair. On many levels, the system was rigged against one candidate and in favor of another. And it was rigged in ways that were not hidden from view. We all saw it happen. So if this election was rigged, it was rigged in favor of the incumbent, Donald Trump. In a sense, it's always rigged in favor of the incumbent because of the power of incumbency. We've talked about this before. Tucker is not telling you that, though. He's just generally saying it was rigged for Biden. And then he gets into some real whoppers in explaining what he means by that. The media openly colluded with the Democratic nominees. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris refused to explain what they would do if they were elected. That's never happened before in any presidential election in American history. But the media allowed them to do it. So, of course, that is completely false and ridiculous. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris explained just about everything. It is true that Joe Biden refused to answer yes or no. Would he expand the court? He made a political decision not to answer it. He is not going to expand it, by the way. I think everybody I've been saying that for months, and I think it's abundantly clear at this point. But the person who never had to actually explain their ideas is Donald Trump. In 2016, every time Trump was asked, how will you do this? The numbers don't add up. Doesn't make sense. It's not clear. It's not even clear. It's legal in some cases. Trump would mutter some nonsense and say, we're going to figure it out. I'm going to put the best people in. And he was allowed to get away with that. In 2020, Trump didn't even run on policy. He just ran. Every rally was I'm great. We've done so great. And Joe Biden is sleepy. So Tucker is right. One candidate never explained policy, but it was Trump, not Joe Biden. So the point here is look at how long it took for me to go through the lies just in an 80 second segment of Tucker Carlson. This is why it's hard to counter the disinformation. Hopefully doing this is useful to some degree. Obviously, it's outside of the scope, you know, to counter an hour of of Tucker a day would take me four hours, right? It's not practical, but just as an experiment, because we had this jam packed 80 seconds riddled with lies, understand how difficult it is to counter the disinformation. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you love feeding your intellectual curiosity, but you're always struggling to find the time, check out one of my all time favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist lets you consume an entire book on your way home from work. They take thousands of popular nonfiction books, condense each one into text or audio that you can get through in just 15 minutes. And you get all of the important core ideas and information from that book. It's perfect if you don't have enough time to do all the reading you want to do or if you just want to sample a book before you buy the entire thing. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way. And it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25 percent off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. 
The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. So we're continuing our coverage of this sort of up and down, hot and cold reporting of so-called election fraud that's been taking place on Fox News. And we are now getting to Laura Ingram. We talked about Tucker Carlson earlier today. Now we're going to talk about Laura Ingram. And this is really very funny. You are going to see video now of Laura Ingram very slowly and carefully and gently explaining to her audience, Donald Trump is not getting another four years. Joe Biden is going to be the president of the United States. And this is so funny because it's sort of like it's like a mid-level mafia guy having to go in and tell the godfather things didn't go so well or, you know, an employee having to go in and tell their intimidating boss that they're not going to make the sales target for the quarter or something like that, you know, tiptoeing around the tooth. Listen, sir. We we really put in our best effort. It's starting to look like maybe through no fault of our own, the bad guy might have gotten away or something like that. And she has to speak to her audience almost like they're not all there. But she does tell them I would be lying if I kept pretending that Donald Trump was going to figure out how to get a second term. Now, where she is still being deceptive is that. It was just as deceptive two weeks ago to pretend like Donald Trump might be on his way to a second term. We knew he wasn't. But take a look at this video. This is Laura Ingram explaining that thanks to Donald Trump, as I already told you, formally okaying the transition to start. It really is like a concession. Take a look. President Trump gave the go ahead for the transition. You see it there. And as unpleasant and disappointing as these past three weeks have been to so many of us, as much as we wish things were different, this is where things stand tonight. Now, legal challenges continue in a number of states. Serious questions about vote counting, poll watcher access are outstanding. But unless the legal situation changes in a dramatic and frankly an unlikely manner, Joe Biden will be inaugurated on January 20th. Now, to say this does not mean I don't think that this election was rife with problems and potential fraud. And to say this does not constitute being a sellout to the conservative populist movement that I've been fighting for for, I don't know, 25 years. You know how some people sometimes get mad at me when I issue these disclaimers, when I cover certain stories, I'll say, you know, listen, I'm going to tell you an example of a Fox News uh, a reporter telling the truth. But this doesn't mean we like Fox News now when it doesn't mean I'm in favor of Fox News. Listen to the disclaimers that Laura has to give to protect herself from the Fox News audience, which what, what's fascinating is Fox News has so dramatically radicalized their own audience that the Fox News audience is now too radical for any truth to be given to them on Fox News. If they say, as some reporters did earlier on, Trump lost, Joe Biden's the president elect, the Fox News audience is so radical that they bail and they go to Newsmax or to, to OAN. And, and Laura Ingram has to say, guys, I'm not selling out. Really, I'm for the conservative movement. But so, sorry, sorry, Joe, Joe Biden is going to be president. Don't kill the messenger. Don't go. After, I'm just the messenger here. And as I was watching, that's what I was thinking about. And, and the other thing, by the way, imagine being someone who th you're watching this episode last night and this is the first time 
you're hearing anyone say to you, Joe Biden really is going to be president. Like we know Trump convinced 86 percent of his voters that Joe Biden actually stole it. And we know Donald Trump convinced 60 percent of his voters that these bogus legal challenges really are going to overturn the election results. I'm imagining someone who hasn't paid attention to actual news for the last three weeks and thought Trump is about to overturn this thing. What are they going through turning on Laura Ingram last night and being devastated and shocked to hear that on November 23rd, for the first time, they are being told, guys, Joe Biden really is going to be president. Bizarre alternate universe that some people are living in. Let's watch a little bit more of this. And she keeps doing these hilarious disclaimers and apologies. Uh, And it does not mean that I disagree at all with the president's right and obligation to pursue all legitimate legal challenges to this outcome. To say this constitutes living in reality. And if I offered you a false reality, if I told you that there was an excellent, phenomenal chance that the Supreme Court was going to step in and deliver a victory to President Trump, I'd be lying to you. Now, you've known me for a long time now, and you've known me long enough to know that I will not lie to you or simply tell you what you want to hear. The funny thing is, all these Fox News people have been offering false realities for weeks. She it's like performance art. She says, I wouldn't lie to you. I wouldn't deceive you. I'm not going to tell you as of November 23rd yesterday that Donald Trump really has a shot. But what she and Tucker and Hannity have been doing for weeks is exactly that. It's no more wrong now than it was two weeks ago uh, when they were saying, here is Donald Trump's path. Here is the way that Donald Trump could ultimately be, be president. You had to be a fool to fall for it then. Just like now. It's no clearer now than it was two weeks ago that, of course, Joe Biden is going to be the next president. He's been the apparent winner for going on a month or just short of it. I am curious to see what Fox News uh, sort of looks like over the next couple of months. How much do they continue to kowtow to and placate their more extreme audience, the types of people who for the first time ever were hearing yesterday from Laura Ingram? Hey, guys, by the way, Joe Biden's going to be the next president. There is a really big deal being made out of a breaking story from investigative reporter Carl Carl Bernstein of Woodward and Bernstein fame about 21 Republican senators who privately have been saying anti-Trump things. And I am here to tell you, I do not care if they don't say it publicly and they didn't say it publicly for the last four years. Who cares that they were privately willing to say it to Carl Bernstein. Um, You know, there's a couple possibilities here. Either they weren't saying it publicly because for a while they supported Trump or they weren't saying it publicly because they thought that it was better for their own careers to shut their mouths. Either way, their silence was terrible for the country for the last four years. But we'll come back to that. Okay, Carl Bernstein tweeted yesterday and dozens of articles were written about this. The 21 Republican senators who have privately expressed their disdain for Trump are Portman, Alexander, Sass, Blunt, Collins, Murkowski, Cornyn, Thune, Romney, Braun, Young, Tim Scott, Rick Scott, Rubio, Grassley, Burr, Toomey, McSally, Moran, Roberts and Shelby. Of the people on Bernstein's list 
Some did actually criticize Trump publicly, like Ben Sass, uh, John Cornyn occasionally, Lisa Murkowski, certainly Mitt Romney. But I have to tell you, I'm finding myself completely underwhelmed by this. Donald Trump has represented an existential threat to the American system of democracy and government and way of life for four years. A couple of senators have mildly criticized Donald Trump and even the ones that did a little more harshly. Mitt Romney, for example, you know, John Kasich, within days of Joe Biden winning, they went right back to saying my goal is stopping Medicare for all. We've got to stop tax increases. We've got to deal with the debt. We have to you know, reduce business regulations. So if anyone expects me to praise Republican senators who privately criticize Donald Trump, give me a break, guys. Imagine if from day one of this presidency or six months in, you know, whenever it was abundantly clear to everybody that this was a disaster. Imagine if early on 21 Republican senators had actually stood up regularly and strongly criticizing Donald Trump. That actually could have made a difference. Instead, now that Joe Biden has already won, we hear, oh, 21 of them said things in private about Trump to Carl Bernstein. Give me a break. These people are pathetic. Now, one other aspect of this, Trump and Republicans love to say it's the left that doesn't allow dissenting opinions and it's the left that doesn't want to engage in the battle of ideas. These 21 Republicans, if it is true that they really didn't like what Donald Trump was doing, they partially stayed quiet because they were too scared to say anything. They were afraid of being outed publicly as not liking Donald Trump when Trump was still riding high. This is what we call profiles in cowardice. They aided and abetted Trump. And if indeed they felt this all along, they have to be held accountable now for how Donald Trump has debased democracy for four years. And I mean, think back to impeachment, guys. Everyone but Romney, who did vote to convict on one count on impeachment, if these other 20 Republican senators had voted to convict Trump on impeachment, they'd have been able to remove him and they wouldn't have had to worry about the repercussions of coming out against Donald Trump. Truly pathetic. None of these people should be held up as heroes. In fact, what they are is disingenuous. If indeed nearly half of the Republican senators in the Senate privately were disturbed, distraught and against what Donald Trump was doing, what they need to be uh, 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 so, sort of uh, what the what, what we need to be pointing the finger to um, is that they were completely disingenuous in public and continuing to support Donald Trump, completely pathetic. I'm glad we learned about it. These are not heroes. These are not our friends. And as we saw from Mitt Romney and John Kasich within 24 hours of the election, they obviously and predictably, as we've been saying for years, went right back to the exact type of Republicans they were before Donald Trump. We have a voicemail number, and that number is 2192 David P. Uh, we got a voicemail from the Eggman with a prediction for 2024. He wants to bet people about this. Take a listen to what he had to say. Hey, Dave, I like to bet on politics. And I won on this presidential election, even though I'm not getting paid by the schmuck who owes me because he thinks, you know, Trump is going to win in court. Anyway, I've got a bet for you or for any of your listeners. Yeah. My pillow 2024. 
Mike Lindell, my pillow 2024 is going to run in 2024. He's not going to win. He's not going to get nominated at all, but he's going to be one of the morons in the beginning. Okay. Anybody want to take me up on that bet? I'll bet anything. I guarantee you this guy is going to run for political office president. Follow him, brother. Okay. Um, I don't think Eggman is wrong. I I think that so if you don't know who Eggman is talking about, there's this guy, Mike Lindell from the company MyPillow. They sell pillows via uh, television commercials. He is a big Trump supporter. I believe he said Trump was a gift from God or something along those lines. He was put front and center at some of these early uh, coronavirus press events as someone who was going to be making masks and contributing to the effort in some way, shape or form. Okay, et cetera, et cetera. Guy's completely out of his mind. And he recently donated a bunch of money to Kyle Rittenhouse's um, uh, bail to two million dollar bail money, as we discussed yesterday on the bonus show. And Eggman's idea is that he may actually run for president. I I don't think that that that's out of whack. It wouldn't be unlike um, a pizza man, Herman Cain, who has since departed uh, this earth due to coronavirus. It wouldn't be like some of these other kind of edge case uh, type candidates who um, are trying to get some publicity. I mean, listen, that's kind of how it started with Trump. We don't we don't really believe Trump thought he was going to win or was even interested in winning early, quite, quite frankly. Um, But I think Eggman may be onto something. I would be completely unsurprised if Mike Lindell does run for president. I agree with Eggman. I don't think he would win. Uh, Curious to hear from you. If anybody's interested in in betting with Eggman, uh, I guess get in touch with him Uh, on the bonus show today. There is this viral video that has been going around of a Trumpist, a a vile Trumpist, deliberately sort of like powerfully exhaling on people um, outside a Trump golf club. And he has now been charged with simple assault for that. Um, I guess the idea, of course, was to scare someone that he may be trying to give him the virus. We are going to talk about the reaction from the oil industry to Joe Biden. This issue of oil was a big issue during the uh, campaign and a big topic for Donald Trump during his rallies. And we are also going to talk about the surge in cannabis related stocks in the market as a result of Joe Biden winning. And we'll talk about what we might actually see in terms of uh, legalization, decriminalization during a a Biden administration. Very, very um, uh, there. There are dramatically different views as to what Joe Biden is expected to do, if anything, on decriminalization and legalization. And we'll be discussing that on today's bonus show. Two ways to get instant access to the bonus show. Number one, very simple, the preferred way. Get a membership at joinpacman.com. Takes under a minute. Very, very strong way to get access to the bonus show. Other alternative, become a patron at patreon.com slash David Pakman Show. We'll speak to you then.